we get going, I just want to say I'm not a mental health professional. I have experienced many things personally and I have other qualifications, but a mental health professional is not one of them. So I do encourage you if you feel like some extra support is needed on your recovery journey to connect with your doctor about steps that can be taken. I also just want to say if you feel you are in an immediate crisis to call the crisis line to call 211 and uh, reach out to talk with someone as soon as you can if during this podcast at any time you are feeling in a triggered state i want to tell you ahead of time it's okay we all experience it just shut off the podcast there'll be a time that it won't be so triggering for you and we are all here to cheer each other on So let's get started. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Trauma Care Burrito. So it's been a few weeks. Um, Everyone's had Thanksgiving and various different things going on. So I hope it was awesome for all of you. It was awesome for me. Um, And we're excited to get back into talking about the four stages of post-traumatic stress disorder. And as we start, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has been writing in. Uh, That's super encouraging. I'm loving having conversations with you. And you can continue to do that on my Facebook at Coaching with Gems on Messenger. And it will be awesome to stay in touch. If you want to catch up on an episode or see what episodes we have done in the past or seasons, you can go to coachingwithgems.ca and you will find every Trauma Care Burrito episode and what we're doing. So right now we're actually working through the four stages of post-traumatic stress. Last week we talked about uh, the rescue phase. This week we're on stage three. We're going to be talking about the intermediate recovery phase. You know, if I can actually say it. Sorry, guys. Intermediate. So, yeah. The intermediate recovery phase is characterized by one's adjusting and returning to normal life. Now, what I want to say here is that you do go through the rescue phase for a reason so that you can slowly go into the intermediate recovery phase and it's not like there's a day that you wake up and you go oh look everything's back to normal it slowly happens it's part of the recovery journey and uh, we're going to be speaking with Peter Black later about some different things with the intermediate recovery phase but one of the things that does come up is you know who decides what normal life is so there's no judgment here you decide what normal is for you and you decide what your goal is for you and keep moving slowly towards that goal and before you know it it's just it's just going to be a natural thing um so we generally in this phase we say once the individual has filled that kind of feeling of need for basic survival and safety um, it's often difficult or hard because we've experienced high levels of trauma in some sort of way everyone's experienced trauma others more than some and you get to this place where you feel safe again and you can start stepping out that's when you can enter into this next phase that we're talking about 
um, other, but with it, other needs emerge because you're stepping out into something new and maybe there'll be different triggers. And so as soon as you step into this intermediate recovery phase, as they like to call it in, uh, in healthcare, um, you may see those needs emerge. Um, in addition, this stage often involves like addressing new and ongoing adversities, as well as continuing on the recovery journey to be humbled by the outpouring of love and support um, by people around you or those people by now that you've chosen to be in your life for this journey. And I'll add on to that by saying, usually by the time that we, you know, we'll go into this phase, um, you've gone through the first two phases and there is one or two minimum people that have walked through it with you. And I must say, it's really humbling when you have those people in your life that you can be raw with, that you can be real with, that stand behind you and stand with you. And it's absolutely needed. I have someone special like that at work. I have someone outside of work. I have family. So these people are important, whether actually you're recovering from post-traumatic stress disorder or not. We all need someone. So now that we've uh, kind of gone on that sidetrack, we can come back again. <laughs> um, so the stage can be broken down into two subcategories or sub-stages. Altruism. So the person struggling with PTSD is amazed by the support and the love they receive from others, as I said before. So much so that they're inspired to take action and help other people too. They might also feel uncomfortable or hesitant expressing negativity because they don't want to appear ungrateful for all that's been done for them. And then there's disillusionment. This substage is kind of just the opposite of the previous. Rather than feeling overwhelmed by love and support, the individual feels disappointed by the lack of response. So on the flip side, one might experience the effects of this substage when the support ceases and they realize they're on their own to deal with the remainder of this mess as they see it, right? As we or whoever is journeying may see it. See, these effects that we talked about in the last phase, the rescue phase, can often continue on into the intermediate recovery stage. One might experience physical symptoms such as fatigue or sleep disturbances, as well as stress reactions like irritability and, you know, snappiness or extreme rage. It doesn't mean you're not recovering. It means that you're recovering at the pace that you recover and you're, you're entering slowly into the next phase. And I just want to say too, this whole subcategory of altruism and disillusionment, everyone's going to respond differently to help. Um, especially when they feel they are overwhelmed by it or they don't need it anymore, which is, you know, in this phase, we are slowly learning to stand on our own. Um, and so there's a gratitude, but there's also a learning of, of, of what you can carry and what you can't carry. And that's why it's broken down into the two subcategories. Because by now, you want to adjust, you want to head into doing things the way that you feel you can. And 
and you use your gifts and you feel stronger but maybe you're not in a place to start expressing that love or helping others um, quite yet and you've got to find what that boundary is for you as well and not overdo it and then with the disillusionment it's almost like it's a flip side in the fact that well suddenly you think you don't need anyone and that can kind of take you back a few stages so finding balance is the way I like to say when I talk to people about this stage finding balance for you because everyone like I said everyone needs someone and everyone needs to be using their gifts and giving out and everyone needs to continuously be practicing self-care and healing so finding the balance between all three when we find that we move into the next phase of long care recovery Um, and so this is why this phase is important because every human being needs balance needs to adjust needs to find out what works for them and what they contribute to this world because we all contribute something so I encourage you all as you're journeying and if you're starting to come into this intermediate recovery phase as we call it um, and maybe you experience those new and ongoing adversities and you know you're humbled by people around you who want to stand with you maybe you start to feel stronger and you you don't know how much you can handle and you overdo it or maybe you suddenly think well why do I why do I need help well we all need help no matter what stage we're in we all need help it's just the amount of help we may or may not need um we all have something to give we all we all have experiences and um I encourage you not to let support seize um, and to continue to listen and give and before you know it you'll be in that, that next phase again, and moving into long-term recovery. Um, it's been a real pleasure talking about this with all of you and as we close up um, I just want to in, uh, move into chatting with Peter Black. So let me tell you a little bit about Peter. He, uh, I met him a while ago. Some of you may have listened to the podcast that I was a guest on in his show. And uh, then I found his story fascinating and his experience is so vast. So I thought, you know what? He would be a great person to chat to today. Uh, so he comes from a background of law and various different social work and, and all kinds of stuff. He's originally from New Orleans. And uh, he has done some fair amount of traveling. And so we thought we'd chat a little bit about this phase and just life in general. So I'm just going to welcome Peter now. So we're welcoming Peter today. Tell me a bit about yourself, Peter. Well, my name is Peter Black. Um, I'm on the north side of 50 years old, for, for what that's worth. <laughs> um, I'm from America. I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana, in fact. I, Are you from New Orleans? Awesome. I, yeah, I am. I am. Born and raised. Uh, mm-hmm. I, was in the milita- I was in the military for a little while, uh, the Air Force. I went to college, mm-hmm. and after college, I went to law school, and I did that for quite a while, but the under 
the theme for me though is I've always been an entrepreneur, so I've never really worked for anyone else. I've kind of always done my own thing yeah. during college, after college, and during law school and after law school as well. Yeah. 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 So you have a podcast. Can you, is there like you said you're an entrepreneur? Is there something that inspired it or how did well, it come about? Yeah, that's the I guess that's the kind of like the common denominator. But I mean, like everybody else, uh, COVID kind of sitting around twiddling, twiddling my thumbs. Mm-hmm. I couldn't make money any, any, any other way. And it had always been yeah. in the back of my mind. But one thing I like to do or one thing I enjoy d- doing is meeting other people. And kind of like you, I had you on the podcast and I was able to meet you and then talk about some relevant issues. Yeah. So is it a specifically like focused podcast, would you say, or you just, it's that connecting with different people all over the place? Right. Well, right. It's, it's specifically for creatives, but you know, although, although, although I say that I've, I've been able to interview because I think everybody is creative to a certain extent, right? Yeah, I agree. And, and so I've interviewed like a midwife, a doula who kind of has a wow, a, 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 <laughs> a festival, like an annual festival, which I thought was, you know, that's that's in the creative realm. Uh, I've interviewed yeah, singers, really cool. actors, yeah, writers. Mm, that's yeah. really great. Yeah. So I, I remember that... Um, well, I was recently chatting with you on your podcast and we were talking mm-hmm. about just some of the things that, you know, we've been going through on mine. And um, I wanted to just ask, you know, do you, what do you think about supports for those that are in trauma recovery and things like that? Do you think we have adequate supports? And, you know, you, you said you've traveled a bit. Um, mm-hmm. does, it, is, does it vary from place to place? Have you noticed? Right. Well, I guess in my like I like I mentioned, I I was an attorney. I'm still an attorney, but I stopped practicing mm-hmm. probably like maybe three years ago. But yeah. during it was like almost like a five to seven year period of my career where I was in the social, I guess the social work uh, sphere. Yeah, I was c- kind of contracted by the state to do a lot of juvenile delinquency matters. And we all know, you know, just kind of learning that. A lot of juveniles, the reason why they get into trouble is because they've had like a, some type of traumatic experience. Yeah. I, I kind of went from there and then I started representing parents who, for one reason or another, the state took custody. And oh, yeah. normally in those situations, it's a, again, it's one parent is, you know, doing something very egregious to the child and mm-hmm. you have a very, you know, you have a very traumatic experience. Yeah. Um, and then, and then from there, I went from there and because I, I, I just think I, I couldn't handle it after a while. It, it yeah. got kind of just too dark and too morbid for me. So then I went to adoptions. Um, but what happened was that even during even doing the adoptions, the information as to why the child was adopted, because I was representing the foster parents, still yeah. kind of bled over into the hearing. Yeah. So then I, then after a while, I just kind of kind of got out, out, out of it. But yeah. to answer your but to answer your question, I have traveled a lot and I've have been I have bumped into people or met people uh, because the, the social system is kind of the same all over. And I yeah. know you you know you live in Canada, is that right? Yes. Yeah, and you've no, been into Me- and you right and you've been to Mexico and I've also been to Mexico, Mexico City, and the systems yeah. are very are, are are the same. But 
the amount of effort that's giving to trauma, I would have to say is is not the same everywhere. Mm. Um, and and I and to kind of go in a little bit more detail, I don't think that I think one of the reasons why it's not is because it's not recognized the same. And I think one of the things that happens is people don't you can see a physical disability, but yeah. it's it's a little bit harder to see somebody who has actually gone through trauma. And yeah. I think that's why it's not necessarily treated the same uh, fr- from that perspective. And and now mm-hmm. that I'm here in Istanbul, I know people here in Istanbul. And but uh, because it's more of a social system, I think that people who have gone through trauma are able to get that one on one treatment and yeah. kind of move forward with their life. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Plus, I don't know about you, but I've noticed some places there's more of a bit of a stigma attached to it, whereas others not so much. Yeah, I yeah, mean, I would say that too. And I would, I would, I would say that too. It just depends. So, so yeah. yeah, this next series that we're in, we're talking about the different stages of PTSD, and um, we're currently like going to be chatting about the intermediate recovery phase, which is a fancy way of saying mm-hmm. moving into. Um, moving in starting to move into recovery um that's why we're talking about you know support structures and things like that and do you know personally anyone who has had ptsd and have you ever seen them kind of enter into that recovery phase and what are your you know what are your thoughts on um, those who are in recovery when it comes to PTSD or anything like that and the supports that right. are in place. Right. Well, in my career, you know, in addition to representing parents of children in uh, foster care, mm-hmm. I also did what we have in the United States of Social Security and in people who have suffered from some type of post-traumatic stress are also entitled to uh, benefits or, or or care so from that yeah. perspective i've i was able to represent yeah. maybe 10 10 veterans who were involved in the gulf war and i i saw them gosh i saw i saw them come through the door you know my door i, I yeah. saw them enter treatment and one of them was actually like a i guess like a not necessarily a close relative but he was the husband of of a relative mm-hmm. so i had i had the interaction with him through the court system as well as personally yeah I, I saw i saw him make a lot I, but i think it was really like his his kids and his family that really kind of helped him uh pull through yeah and then and then from the from the foster care side mm-hmm. obviously you, you you've kind of had experience with that where the children suffer through trauma yeah um and and i think it's very similar that once the child comes into foster care you kind of have a 13 month or 18 month period where the parent kind of needs to get their stuff together yeah and, and if they and if they don't then you know the foster care or who, whoever steps up can can adopt and I've, I've seen children make great strides as well yeah you know you you know we would go to the monthly the monthly uh court appointments you know and you okay. would kind of read the you know read the the reports by the psychiatrist but I was also I also part of my responsibility was actually going to some of the I could not go into the treatments yeah but but the parents 
were allowed to go to the treatment. We would have to stand outside, and of course, representing the parent, mm. sometimes they would request that I would that I would go. But you could kind of see through the window yeah. that some of the children were actually making great progress. Yeah. But I think a lot of it had to do with the family and the family support. Oh yeah, I can totally agree with that. <laughs> so yeah, were they? Yeah. Was it? Would you say the treatment process was totally different, like or kind of the same between, for instance? the veterans and the children or maybe certain other individuals was it kind of when I say that I mean the same kind of structure and support or would you say it all starts in the same place or because a lot of people come to me and they're like well I don't I don't know what supports are there for me I don't know how or where or what to start doing right so you mentioned some of the kids were were they seen as like did you say a psycho like a psychiatrist or yeah well what what well, happens is well, i'm sorry go ahead go ahead sorry that's fine i was just wondering do they all did did everybody that you kind of connected with all start in that one spot of going to a psych psychiatrist or was it different yes, with right with, with children yes that was kind of mm. that was the first thing whether they had trauma or not they had to go through a psyche valve Okay. And I want to say upwards of 90% were, it was established that they had had some type of trauma. Yeah. So it was court, it was court mandated. Right. And so, yes, for children, from the children I met, and again, I I had to, I was at a distance because I represented the parents, not the child. Yeah. But I had to, I had to go over the information because these, you know, this, these reports were then submitted to the judge so I had to know what I, I had to know what was in the reports and then sometimes I would accompany the parent to some of those post um, meetings with the with the psychiatrist so yes for the children it started in, in, in the same spot okay. now with the veterans though they had to initial initiate it on their own because it, yeah. it didn't disqualify them from getting social security whether they went or, or, or did not go yeah but again if you had a if you had a, a spouse or a sibling or someone on your in your corner say, hey man, look, you know, like we're with you. We are supporting you. We think you need to go get help, you know, for lack of a better, better term. Yeah. I found that those guys actually sought uh, yeah. help. And I can honestly say I, di- I didn't represent any women, so I don't know if it gender wise, if there was a difference, um, you know, at the adult level. Yeah, but like you said, it's very different probably between the child and adult level and the fact that, well, we have to go and seek help ourselves. Yes, <laughs> right? yes, yes. We're, yes, we're kind yes, of responsible yes. for that. Yeah. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, what else were we talking about? I totally went, woo! <laughs> yeah, 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 no problem, no problem, no problem. So, um, when we, we've been chatting a bit about, about like, what normal life looks like, um, yeah. which is interest, which is an interesting fa- phrase to me personally. Because, mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. you know, who decides what normal is? But um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like when yeah. we talk about that way, does anything come to your mind? Like, what would oh. returning to normal life be like Gosh. for some of these people that you've come in contact with, or you know, along yeah, the way? Yeah, absolutely. Again, I, I, there is a distinction between children and, and adults. Yes. I absolutely. think with the children, the children had to be able to not necessarily separate themselves from their new parents or from their guardians. 
Yeah. But they they wanted them to be able to kind of do some things on their own, I guess. Maybe dress yeah. themselves, maybe feed themselves. And yeah. some of the be- and some of the behavior that's associated with that uh, not to be too graphic uh, on 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 the cast, but if, if if it was some type of sexual trauma, yeah, maybe not acting out sexually. Yes, you know they're, they're they're trying to, you know, trying to eliminate that. With with adults though, it was a little bit different. I think they were on a path to what they had known before, which is being extremely independent. So being able to hold a job, yeah, being able to to communicate, and if. And if your emotions pulled you one way or the other, for example, a lot of the guys who had PTSD to come back from the war, they were very quick to be angry. Yeah. You know, I mean, I had a guy that he was in constantly in and out of jail, in and out of jail. So normal for him would be, you know, just staying out of jail. Yeah. Right. And being and being able to hold a job. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> that is. Uh, yeah. I can definitely see that as a huge recovery step, actually. Mm-hmm. Do it, being able to do that. And I'd have to yeah. say it that anger is probably one of the first things person that I've personally observed with with PTSD too because you're in that you're in that stage where you you feel like you're always in fight and right right and so it's hard to kind of get out of it and start working towards a job or whatever Mm -hmm. right so yeah I I would have to agree with that um I, I guess one thing too is what I also notice is that a lot of times after the anger came like this very deep depression and i don't necessarily know if it was regret for the things that they did but it was just it was so volatile it was anger first and then you know some type of depression yeah yeah i want uh, almost like a crash and like an emotional yes yes absolutely absolutely probably i mean i can't speak for everyone but from the people i know i'd say attached to that was a lot of self-hatred too like you said, mm-hmm, be- mm-hmm. because of either where they're at or what they've just done because they've gotten angry and done something and they felt mm-hmm. out of control and it's mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. spiraled and right. keeps going. <laughs> right. And then also, too, uh, another distinction between uh, children or adolescents and, and adults is that when the child was going through that type of trauma, it wasn't just the individual message or the individual help to the child it was also help to the parents yeah like hey like you know you have a child that is going through abc this is what you need to do along with us to help your child as you're talking about kind of start guiding themselves back towards normal whereas adult we didn't like it was just focused on adult like although he or she has people that want to help them the people who want to help you we didn't get any assistance at all yeah yeah uh that's true as well i would from the yeah. parent perspective i would agree with you because yeah. we got so much help when we first adopted ours and um, okay and just so many different supports so mm-hmm. i think like you said if you have someone in your life if you have family members if you have various other support systems it makes that recovery easier child or adult right like if you have yeah, yeah. family that is yeah. saying i'm with you when you're an adult it's easier to make those steps to recovery yeah. um for sure i absolutely Not, agree <laughs> did did you immediately did you and your children immediately have help or was it did it have to be determined at some point um it, so we had initially had help like from 
social services with various different supports for adoptive parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point, um, we all went through the process of a psych- psychological eval. Okay. Um, and both of my kids after that, they got, they were able to get the help they need. Like my son, that's when they were able to support him with the autism and my daughter with a few other issues that maybe she was having at the time. So I think until then, nothing would have happened. Uh, okay. But yeah, that's why I asked about the eval. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's... It's man, yes. Yeah, it was mandatory. It was ma- that was the wh- whether, regardless to how the children came into custody of the state, it was mandatory. That was the first thing that was petitioned for, and if it was not petitioned for, the judge would order it anyway. Yeah, like, that was just routine. Well, yeah. and I find I find that interesting because, well, at least when we adopted the kids, um, mm-hmm. we as their parents had to request the eval because they weren't they weren't in the system or anything. Okay. So again, it started out that way, but it was inter- it was interesting at least for us because they didn't mandate it for any adoptive parents in Mexico where I, where I started okay. adoption. I'm not sure if they okay. do they mandate like psyche vows and stuff in the US. From- no, it is it isn't mandated, but I, I guess it was routine for the for the judges that sat on the benches yeah. in a juvenile court in New, yeah. in, in New Orleans, right? Like yeah. that was just their their mo. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, this is kind of seems like I'm asking this a lot, but it, what do you think kind of stands in the way when it comes to even starting that? Because we're talking about the recovery phrase, starting to go into that recovery phase um, for our people that you've come in contact with? I mean, off the top of my head, I can think of a few things, but... Right, well, from the adult perspective, the reason why I think a lot of the gentlemen could not, or did not, was because their environment stayed the same, right? Like, yeah. if they were homeless, they were always homeless. Yeah. You know, if, if, if whoever they were relying on had let them down once before they continue to let them down yeah like they they just didn't have anything that was consistent that could help them begin to turn around because i think that's where it starts right right like yeah with consistency so you know if i if i if i know that you know Gemma is there for me if i need to talk or if i need to hit that one 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 star button to call you and and i know that you always pick up yeah i think that's where it starts because I think that's why the kids were a little bit more successful than the adults is because there was a sense of accountability mm. on all people involved of, of trying uh, who were, were required to help. And I think that's another reason why the judges, that was their M.O., was like, look, we're, we're going to get these children what they need. Yeah. And, and everybody is going to be held accountable at, at, you know, at every juncture in the line. Like everybody's going to be held accountable because these, these kids matter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can agree. Yeah. It's the yeah. whole saying of it takes 40 days to build a habit. So yes, yes. How much yes. longer would it take us to change it? And if that habit or that routine, like you said, is not a yes. good one. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. How are you going to yes. recover? So, yeah, I agree. Right. Because as a matter of fact, some of the gentlemen who actually it, it really didn't take much to get the Social Security. 
but they got it and they were still and they still and and they're and they're still homeless yeah you know they they still can't hold a job like they get their they get their whatever nine hundred dollars a month and you know it, to my knowledge nothing's changed for them other than other than them getting a check yeah pretty much because yeah. well mm-hmm. there's probably a lot more deeper things going on absolutely <laughs> like, oh, I, absolutely. absolutely i agree mm-hmm. like i i can't tell you how many people i know that that's the case <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. just like uh, like i said the whole habit thing and yeah. if you just yeah. changed one thing in your in your habit mm-hmm. it would mm-hmm. start leading towards something else other than you know being mm-hmm. jobless mm-hmm. and homeless yeah. and mm-hmm. yeah Absolutely. i get it i get it's hard um but at the same time <laughs> i like you yeah, i go yeah. oh yeah. my gosh <laughs> reach yeah. out yeah. everyone reach out <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, that's yeah. a hard a hard thing i've been ready to i mean like for myself I, so yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> give you, yeah, give you an example. I had one gentleman. All we like after the judge said, okay, look, you know, I, he turned the tape tape recorders off. He says, look, I'm gonna award you your your money and everything. He says, but do you, you know, like, can you give us an address of where we can kind of assist you or, you know, mail you the check check and such and such such such. And the guy was like, yeah, we wrote that information down. And then two weeks later, I got notification from the judge that that wasn't his address. Like something had changed about that. Yeah. Right. So like literally, you know, this guy couldn't even give us an address. Yeah. You know, just something as as simple. And it wasn't his fault. Like the addresses that he was writing down, those people were either getting evicted or they had problems as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, unfortunately, it's the that is a very tough situation for sure. I um I know that like a lot of people when we do these little chats listen in and so mm-hmm. um what would you kind of thinking so you know I I know you know people who and if you're listening um either you yourself or know people who have struggled with homelessness and various other things because of PTSD to get out of the cycle so to speak the cycle being I am going to, I don't know, go and get my check and do what I usually do and then spend my money and then wait for my next check and then sleep on the streets. The one step, what what do you think would be one awesome step for anyone who's listening that potentially that's their cycle to, to maybe start a new habit that could change it? And I know, Gosh. just for all you listen, I'm putting I'm putting you on the spot. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, because I think, like I said earlier, you need somebody you can count on. So I, I, I'm guessing that you have to, you would have to put some kind of effort into finding something or someone you mm-hmm. can count on. And I and I know that's difficult, right? Yeah. Like you're you're relying on your fellow man, but the programs that exist. Well, I guess I'll say this, that once you get in a program, Mm. even if even if like like, even if they say, hey, look, meet every Friday, you know, we're going to give you counseling. You're going to meet with a psychiatrist. This is part of your program. You're still going to get your checks, but come every Friday. Yeah. Even even if you can't come every because part of that is if you're if you hold yourself accountable and you come every Friday, 
that would be the the, the, the first step. Mm-hmm. But if you can't do that and you know that you don't feel like coming on a Friday or you, for some reason, feel like, you you know, on Thursday or Wednesday, you feel a little bit depressed or, or disappointed, contact the people and let them know you're not coming on Friday. Yeah. I think if you can just, and, and I know it's not easy. Look, I, I know it's not easy because there are days I don't want to get out of bed yeah. and, and I don't, you know, and I'm not, I'm not suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. But if I think if the person can at least at a minimum do those things, I, I think that the person on the other end is going to say, OK, this person is responsible. Yeah. They were responsible enough to call me on a Wednesday or Thursday to tell me, hey, look, Gemma, I'm not I'm not coming on Friday. Yeah. Right. You know, so I, I think that's where if they can personally start doing that, I think they can kind of start putting pieces together. And because at that point, I think you've now have someone on your side who yeah. is now also going to be accountable to what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. And I think anyone who currently listens would have to agree. That one mm-hmm. habit, and I've been there too, is that one habit of reaching out just to yes. one person can change multiple habits. Yes. <laughs> just because you yes. have one person yes. now in your life who is yes. going to... Mm-hmm walk you through things or that you can talk to or that you can you know, it doesn't matter like what you said if you're having a bad time you can't come to this group whatever yes. the situation yes. leaves you're still communicating mm-hmm. you're communicating mm-hmm. with another human being and you're not yes. doing it alone so your the cycle will start to change it won't be yes. oh pick up my check and go and do my usual stuff and no mm-hmm. pick up my check mm-hmm. oh i've got to talk to this person Oh, and this person is going to say this to me and this is going to happen and this, this. So it's already changing just by doing that one thing. Absolutely. So, yeah, I would say that's a fantastic habit to encourage everyone who's listening right now to start building and find one person that you can reach out to and chat to. Um, Yes. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. (laughs) All right. It was my pleasure. Yeah. It was my pleasure. (laughs) And I, I hope your I hope your audience. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for being part of this amazing podcast this week. We're excited for the next one where we talk about long-term recovery. Until then, I just say to everyone, keep on keeping on. Your journey is your journey, and you're all doing incredible. Look forward to talking again soon.